Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, the only podcast that would never call you a bitch-ass mf'er. Actually, I don't even know if that's true. Austin, is that true? I feel like in the right circumstance, like Tony Brothers, we might actually do that, but only if you deserve it, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I actually, I might do it. I'm not going to lie. I, I think I stand with Tony Brothers on this one. I mean, we love our listeners, but y'all be acting like that sometimes, okay? <laughs> like, that's just that's just a fact. Anyway, I'm Tim Cato. I'm to talk about the Mavericks. Uh, we've got Austin, Austin Guria of D Magazine, Dime Magazine, lots of magazines. He's a magazine lover. Um, I do, I and, do love me some print. <laughs> man, man, the forgotten medium. Um, see, I'm just an audio man myself. We're streaming into uh, ears everywhere. And we're streaming in on Tuesday morning. You may be listening Tuesday afternoon. As usual, we are recording on Tuesday. This one's a little bit delayed, as most Tuesday podcasts will be when there's a Monday night game. We're going to record the following uh, morning. Otherwise, should be the same schedule that you're used to when we're out every Tuesday morning right away. We're going to talk about the two games, because I think the last two games that the Mavericks played, a 111-110 win against Toronto, that wasn't that close, and a 96-94 win against Brooklyn on Monday night, which wasn't that close either, except it was. And I think both those games are really just interesting and have, you know, themes and things to talk about, uh, both about the games themselves and kind of where the Mavs season is going, uh, some early trends, etc. Why was that Brooklyn game so close? Can you can you explain any aspect of that final minute to me, Austin? Because I like I'm I'm still, you know, you know, 10 hours removed from it, uh, still shocked and jarred by that 8.45 central local tip time. 
and uh, I'm just a little baffled and confused. Yeah, I'm going to blame it on the 8.45 tip time combined with daylight savings. Everyone was just in a bad mood. It, it, it had been dark already for four hours when the game started, so no one really knew how to close a game. Uh, but I think also Brooklyn got a lot of... Uh, they got a lot of good shot variants in the last minute. Cam Thomas hit a couple crazy threes and, and contested jumpers, and the Maverick offense stalled out a little bit in those last two minutes. And then they had some they had some bad turnovers. I don't think it wasn't the same issues that they've been having throughout the season where their offense stagnates. They had some like just bad, untimely turnovers. Like Dorian had a really bad turnover, which he normally doesn't do, and Luca had a couple bad ones. And that combined with the shot making made the game close down the down down the stretch, but it was definitely, it was definitely a weird one. Definitely. I felt like more like an outlier than a trend than the other games. Yeah. It felt like the Mavericks, uh, they're usually so good in the margins and the winning margins and it's stuff like turnovers, offensive rebounds, uh, 50, 50 balls, deflections, stuff like that. And I felt they lost that, uh, unexpectedly or, or non-traditionally for them, uh, against Brooklyn, they had 22 turnovers. I asked Jason Kidd about that, if there was any commonality uh, to the turnovers that they were committing. And he was like, I don't know, it's just a weird game. It started super late. Uh, so even he was, you know, kind of referencing that as a uh, as a reason or an explanation for what was going on. And hey, man, I'm I think that's fair. I, I think I'm willing to go with that. Um it was just it was it was kind of a funky game and, and Brooklyn's in a funky situation and there's nothing I'd rather do than uh not talk about that. Um but but clearly, you know, even the opponent itself and how different they looked from when the Mavericks played them, you know, within uh the, the first few games of the season. Uh just a lot of changes, a lot of differences, and, and I think that's enough to chalk up, you know, whatever weirdness was associated with that Brooklyn game and, and, and the ending, uh kind of to that. I think for both of these games, for Toronto uh, and Brooklyn together, I-, I think my first takeaway is just that Luka Doncic right now cannot be schemed. No. That the Raptors and Nick Nurse, who is a sicko, who is a defensive sicko, tried everything he could imagine. I saw one tweet that you know listed about 12 different uh, variations of defensive coverages. Um, that feels like a, a little bit of... Um, you know, a lot of those 12s are kind of variations of one another, essentially the same thing with, you know, just different names attached to it, slightly different uh, effects. But but again, teams are going out of their way to try everything they can against Luka, and he's scored 30 plus in nine straight games. And it, it feels like there's just such a similar script of teams starting one way, trying it for a half, shifting to something else in the third quarter, and then finally in the fourth quarter, just being like, Damn, dude, you've scored against every single thing we've tried. What else can we do but like just hard double you? Uh, because at least we're not going to lose because of you know that dude. And even then, you know, like he's still scoring, he's still winning. The Mavericks are still succeeding. Uh, it's just it's remarkable. It it is remarkable. He really cannot be schemed. He's kind of just solved all defenses. And and the crazy thing is that I mean he shot well in the last two games from three, but for the most part he's not shot the three ball very well, and he's still getting thirty five every game efficiently. He's he's basically just like he turned into the best post scorer in the league, which is also another thing that defenses don't really know how to ha- to handle now because he and he was really smart in the Brooklyn game in that he knew that they were going to switch early on, and instead of just like drawing out a lot of pick and rolls and trying to get a lot of switches. He just went immediately to the post. He's just like, I'm just going to the post every time. Got the ball in the post, played out of there, 
and was very efficient. And he's like, I actually don't need to drive the basketball or call up a screen or use energy. I think that's another thing that's been interesting to watch him score this year is that he's using less energy to do it. He's not dribbling the air out of the ball quite as often. And I think he knows that like, yeah, if I can just get on the post, do a quick spin move or kick the ball out. That's much better for me down the stretch than running a thousand pick and rolls, even though he can do that all day. I had a funny conversation with the Mavericks executive over the weekend, and we were talking about this very thing, about how much teams are trying to stop. And, you know, this guy was joking, you know, all other 29 teams should get on a conference call and just agree to make Luca score like 60 every night and wear him out by January. <laughs> and it's almost true. Um, but the funny thing about that is like um, it's literally the prisoners the the prisoners dilemma where that is actually probably the best approach to take against Luca um, from a lead wide league wide perspective. But on any given night, you have to try all these different schemes and you have to take the ball out of his hands at times. Um, and here we are, you know, with him having 30 plus and him roasting every, you know, variation of. Of, of defenses that are that are thrown at him um i've said before I've, I've written before um i think it was last season after they played and beat milwaukee in the second half of the season you know i've written that he is probably um no not no probably about it he is the best player against drop coverage that anybody you know that in the league period you know just the way that he can can kind of like matriculate it and you know hesitate and and then you know get the ball to to his rolling uh big man but the post game has made him almost as deadly and almost as as just vicious against switching and you know you can't really trap him or or you know even a hard hedge you know where the guy shows and tries to recover you know he passes right over that i don't know what you do against him and, you know, outside of, you know, 29 team collusion, I, I really do not know what you do against Luca right now. And even though, you know, a, a slightly worse performance is coming, and even though this is very likely not sustainable once the team gets to the playoffs, that, that we're going to see some of the same problems that we saw last season. And that's why this isn't a good long term approach for Luka Doncic, that the team still does want a second star right now in the regular season. You know, while he's still fresh and playing like this, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't I don't have any other ideas. I mean, I'm not an NBA coach, thank God, because I have no other ideas about what to do with this dude who is just, you know, just beyond comprehension. It's weird because I actually think what he's doing is sustainable for the entire regular season. Because, again, he's not it's not like he's making a bunch of threes and he's just gotten super hot and he'll he's not shot the ball that well from beyond the arc and but inside the paint he's the best paint scorer in the entire league and he can get there whenever he wants to get there there's not been a team or a scheme that's been able to show that they can keep him out of the paint you would have to, the only team that i think they could really do it are the celtics and that they would have to have robert williams like that's the only team that i think that could even try to scheme or keep him out of the paint or keep him scoring efficiently within the arc. He's the best scorer in the NBA inside the arc. It's probably just the best score in the NBA period right now. It's he's, he has improved significantly since last season. And that's pretty jarring considering how good he was last season, but he has made a lot of minor adjustments to his game that have allowed him to again, score efficiently inside the paint and then also conserve his energy. He, you don't see him like, 
tired like you used to see him in games late, like with his hands on his shorts and just like fully exhausted. He looks like he has energy late in games more than he's ever had in previous seasons. And so I think as long as he doesn't get hurt, he doesn't get nicked up, he doesn't have to miss a lot of time for anything, I think what he's doing is sustainable. And it's going to it's gonna cause teams to really think about how they want to defend him in the playoffs because it's still going to be difficult to stop what he's doing even in a playoff scenario. Yeah, like even even a hypothetical team that, that doesn't exist, you know, like I, I guess you do the, you know, five defensively average to above average six, eight wings. Maybe the Clippers can throw a few lineups out there like that, and and then obviously you would just switch everything, uh, while eliminating you know a a easy post up mismatch. But the thing is, Luca's so strong. Like, I, I don't think there's a team in the league that can play five players, even six, seven, and up, uh, without any of them being susceptible susceptible to Luca posting them up because he's stronger than you know almost anybody else, even his own height. You know, it's it's he doesn't you know it would be a little bit more difficult or or cause more you know energy exertion but it's not like he can only post up six one players like he's posting up anybody he posted up bull bull <laughs> and backed him all the way under the basket uh now you know you kind of unique um body type there but um you know like it's it's anybody but yeah i, I think the clippers would be interesting you know milwaukee if they if they don't go to drop coverage i'd be curious seeing how they kind of approach that there's a few other teams that that i'm at least interested in seeing but i thought toronto would be that team same and yeah and and i thought their combination of um you know defensive size and ability would bother him at least to the point that he had to really turn into a passer although he passed a lot that game um and it didn't and so here we are just once again (laughs) i don't know who stops them and win I mean, I guess, I guess, uh, unless you want to add anything more to that, <laughs> if Jason Kidd keeps starting JaVale McGee, <laughs> that um, that has proven to be the best defense against Luka thus far this season. Listen, JaVale McGee is a very, very effective defender. He's the best Luka defender in the league. <laughs> Goodness. This is a, it's a weird situation, man. It's very strange. I mean, it, it's, so what's stranger to you? Um, it is here rank rank these three things in order of strangeness the mavericks signing javel to a three-year deal worth like 17 million the mavericks starting him against brooklyn yet again and and in you know seven of the nine games or just javel turning into not just a below average player but right now not an nba level rotation player Oh, uh, the number one is Javel just looking like a pumpkin. Like, I, he was good in the regular season last year. He was a good help, like, right. contributing player. But Aiton was out for a long stretch last year, and the Suns were like, yeah, we're just going to keep moving along because we have Javel, and he's going to play great for us. He's just going to run, run, jump, and dunk. And I didn't think his floor was this low as a player. I thought at minimum, he's going to give him 15 minutes, good rim protection, catch lobs be a cog on the offense, and then they'll play Wood and Kleber for the rest of the minutes. I thought he had a very high floor. I didn't think he had a high ceiling. I didn't think he was going to be like, you know, a, a really high-level starting center. But I thought he just gave them, you know, some rebounding, some size. Like, it's troubling how bad he's looked. And I think the second thing I would rank there is the starting him in the Brooklyn game. It's weird, but it's just like you sign a guy and you promise to start him and we're – 
not even 10 games this season. And it's so evident to literally everyone, the coaching staff, that they're his teammates, the fans that he's just not the starting center, but they already, it's too quick to pull the plug on someone that fast, but everyone does know that he's not good enough. So it's a really awkward spot. They started him, played him three minutes and then he didn't see the floor <laughs> again in the game. And, right. and rightfully so. He's just not, he's not as good as Dwight Powell. Dwight Powell is a better basketball player than him right now. And so it is a very strange place to be. They're trying to figure out ways to like make it work. I honestly think they should play him more with the bench unit. The only time that he's looked good in these first nine games was that small stretch he played with Christian Wood and and Hardaway and Green. And maybe that'll allow him to, to get into the game more and play a little bit more dynamic. I think maybe that starting lineup is maybe a little too stagnant for him. And he's not the intuitive pick and roll screener that Powell is. I don't think he can drive the offense that way with his vertical spacing. Yeah, I think some of it has to be situation, just that, you know, Phoenix is a different offense that that expects different things. But yeah, I think my ranking would be actually signing first. Um, you know, I kind of talked myself into it as the offseason went along, but from the moment they signed him, I was like, I'm not positive about this. And I still think that was the wrong decision. And I think it was a little bit um, a little bit of stubbornness, maybe is, is fair to say about, uh, you know, kids kind of belief in players which works out really well in a lot of ways like like i think it's probably a net positive but he had you know clearly he had some level of belief in this player from their share time in los angeles and you know just felt like that was right for the team and, and very clearly it's not so I, I still think that's number one for me um e even if i kind of had tried to talk myself into it as as the offseason went along uh number two is is you know how he looks and then uh, I would say number three is is just that he keeps starting because that's that's a really hard thing to do. Like, yeah, he hasn't looked good, but honestly, it's almost surprising to me that the Mavericks went away from him as a starter in Friday's game. Uh, that's such a quick hook for a veteran who was signed and had, you know, like it deserved to be clear. But you do have to manage locker room and expectations and, you know, personalities and you know, the combination of bringing him off the bench and then on Monday, just the quick hook in the, you know, the second half benching, it's, you know, not really ideal, obviously, for all the reasons we talked about. But I, I don't I don't have any real issues with that. You know, if, if you announce him, you know, if you're going to announce him in July as a starter, it's really hard to take that away, you know, even six games into the season. And Jason Kidd has actually done that. And I think that's some credit to him for being proactive and not feeling forced into it, even as the Mavericks keep winning games. If if Luca wants him to start, he'll start. If you if you won't, <laughs> I think it got noted, but um, Luca definitely looked over at the bench and yelled something, and I do not, I could not hear it even from my media seat. Um. Appearances sure made it seem like it was just after a bad McGee turnover. And it's not hard to uh, surmise that it was something about McGee. Yeah, he's just they don't have good. And he got pulled right after yeah, that. They don't have good pick and roll chemistry, which is a shame, but they just they just don't have it. And if anything, what this has done is maybe very much value Dwight Powell. He's been great. 
he's played super hard. What did you tweeted about that, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I was like, this was a long con by the front office to make us all value Dwight Powell and his skill set because he's looked phenomenal. It's been every time he comes to the game, it's like, oh yeah, you know how to play with Luca, you know how to play within this offense, and also defensively, he he knows how to run their defense like their rotations are much tighter when he's in they actually look like they looked defensively last year when he's on the floor and i just did not value him enough especially defensively and what he can do and how he can make their defensive rotations work looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. I'll keep this short and then we'll get to our last point, but I, I totally agree on the defensive rotations. I, I, I've said this or I've talked about this on this podcast before, but you know, if you were going to identify one single thing that the Ma- that made the Mavericks so good defensively last season, especially when they did not have, you know, truly elite defensive talent, it's it's the connectivity of the rotations. And they lost two players who were well, they didn't they they stopped playing Dwight Powell to start the year, who was always in the right place, even if he didn't always do something when he was in the right place and the same thing goes for Jalen Brunson who did depart uh they you know to start the year they they were down two players who did have that connectivity and I really think that uh you know played into the slower defensive start for this team talk to me about your Josh Green agenda oh, which looks more and more right man, every day my stock is so high it's it's going through the roof I remember remember we went on the studio 41 show and we talked about I do how, remember that. How do the Mavericks win 60 games? And I said, Josh Green is good enough to supplant Reggie Bullock as a starter. And everyone laughed at me. Everyone everyone scoffed. And now, and now, we're, now we're here. Josh Green is the best three-point shooter in the NBA. I, I think I chortled. Chort, chortled, yeah. I would say is it was a, more of a chortle. Yeah. More yeah. of a chortle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, but th- there was some scoff going around. There was some derision. Maybe even, and here I am. I'm I'm, and I'm profiting off of my Josh Green stock. It's it's so it's it's great. We're expanding. We're growing the company. He has a. You know, some people hated what Jesus said. Some too. people did. 
and yet here you are in, in, you know, you're speaking your truth Preaching the gospel. And it turns out your truth might be the truth. He's, he has a 92 true shooting percentage, which I think is pretty good. <laughs> uh, can we call it truth? It's percentage? Tru- yeah. yeah. Now it's truth percentage. <laughs> well, and he, he's playing phenomenal. When is when is Dude, he's he's been fantastic. Um, he's actually gotten better as a defender. He's a very good defender. I think last year he was a good defender, but he would get beat off the dribble a few times and he'd get a little over eager and foul. This year his he's on it. Like he he's pretty much like a shutdown on ball defender and he's great off ball, he's great creating steals, great at creating great at ro- rotating. Whenever he checks to the game, he's another guy who their rotations get much better as soon as he checks into a game. Yeah, last season I would describe his defense as like for, you know, he would go, he would, he would waffle between a good play and a bad play. Yeah. And so like average defender feels weird to say because he obviously had a bunch of good plays, but he had as, as many bad plays that kind of offset each other. This season, a lot better in that area. Um, looks much more effective driving. You know, some of them still go nowhere, but the fact that he's getting to the rim and, you know, not as, you know, either and sometimes just stopping and realizing, OK, I went nowhere. Now I'm going to pass it back out. But they're not drive straight into turnovers like he's had some he's had some weird ones. But, you know, he's still a young, raw player in a lot of ways. And that's to be expected. But there's a lot more positivity off the dribble from him, even even if it's not like brilliant passes, wraparound passes. Um, honestly, I think his passing off drives has been, um, you know, has not stood out nearly as much as his ability to actually get to the rim and finish. And, you know, I think that's how teams uh, stymied him a little bit down the stretch of last season, realizing that they that they really needed to play him for the pass because he was looking for it so aggressively. And so that adjustment from him has been really good to see. His, his three-pointer looks good. He still passes up looks here and there. Uh, but even in the Brooklyn game, I noted one where he passed up a shot and, and probably should have taken it. And... 10 seconds later uh, in, in the shot clock, it, it gets back to him and he takes it and he makes it. And uh, just just really, really positive, uh, you know, development and progression from, you know, probably the only player on the roster who can really have that outside of Luca, uh, as silly as, as it is to say that. And, you know, that's it's that's only good. You know, I'm not I'm not quite sure that he's going to supplant Reggie Bullock. Um, I guess I'm not ruling it out, but you know, we know that Bullock starts slow, um, for whatever the hell this reason is. And I'm, I'm still a little bit more keen on him, but I will say the one reason that Bullock has been and, and why I viewed him as, you know, a must have starter. He was the one player in the starting five who you wanted guarding point guards, the Mavericks, you know, when you start Luca at point guard and Dorian is, is better, you know, more on threes and fours. You needed Bullock out there to guard point guards, but Green can do that. You know, Green's the other player on the roster that I trust to, you know, match up straight up with John Morant or, you know, with, uh, you know, whoever you want to throw out there. And so I guess like for that fact alone, it, it does seem possible that there could be a straight swap. Not soon, but, you know, if in 30 games, things kind of still feel like this. Why not? It's possible. Yeah, and I think um, even if he doesn't supplant him as a starter, he's now a full rotation guy, and I think now he's got, oh, he can he can close games for you, which is not a place we thought he would be at this point in, in his career. But that's it's a good thing to have. And also what he does is he 
he allows the offense to have a little more dynamism to it and because he gets into the lane and he's he's been a great driver this year I mean, which that's that was the thing that was really like he was bad at in college and he was bad at in his first two years in the nba but now that he can get into the lane and he can throw cross-court passes he gets guys open shots and that's something that luca doesn't have to do so then luca can take a possession off because josh green created an open shot for somebody and i think he and then also with his off ball movement he just creates a lot more movement within the offense there's not a lot of possessions where luca dribbles out the entire clock and takes a step back i think he just allows them to have a lot more unpredictability when it comes to their offense and he's shooting the ball great and as long as he keeps shooting the ball great I, there's not a reason to not play him um and you can honestly even keep Bullock in the starting lineup and start Green over Spencer Dinwiddie if you want to bring Spencer off the bench. I think it gives it gives him a lot of flexibility and optionality in their lineups, both starting and closing. Now that he's a legitimate rotation player, yeah. At minimum, I would put um, Green and Bullock's minutes on a slider, and just you know, you get forty eight out of them, and you adjust the slider based off who's a more effective. But they're different enough players that yeah, you know, if if Green warrants more working in and Bullock does have his expected bounce back as he typically has. Absolutely. You know, like you probably will want to be playing both of those guys more than 48 minutes a night. And there's plenty of ways to do that. So the Mavericks won two games. They're six and three. They have a road doubleheader on Wednesday and Thursday against teams somewhere on the East Coast. And I don't have it in front of me. And they're just their teams. Is it Orlando? Orlando, Washington. That's right. That's right. Chris Desperzingas, um, the reunion. Um, so we'll uh, check back in later this week after those games, uh, perhaps with a guest focusing on, you know, maybe even something off the court. But those are two good wins for the Mavericks. Uh, it's good to win. It's good to continue winning games. And this team is starting to settle out and kind of look like the team we expected them to be. And so I think that's a good place for them. And I think that's a good place to end this. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you later this week. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luke, a big dick Donjic from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you hit? Don't fight the future, it tears me apart. Don't fight the future, please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh my God! Oh! Shut it down! Let's go home! It's a wrap, Kurt. Man, That is a wrap. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.